Thanks for being here. My name's Derek. I'm the pastor. If you're new with us, that's who I am. And about once a month, uh, actually it's been once a month, every fourth Sunday, these little storytelling weekends where we uh, have someone either from the congregation or uh, just some friends of ours outside of the church that we bring up on stage, and I just talk to them, let them tell you their stories about how God is working in their lives or through what they do for a living. Uh, and so today is one of those days, so you don't have to have a sermon. Are you excited about that? You don't want to clap, I know, but it's totally fine. I get it. I didn't want to write one, so it worked out well. But uh, but today we've got two uh, special friends of ours. They're both, it's a husband and wife, uh, Jeff and Katie Delp, and I'll explain a little bit more about what they do when they get up here. But uh, if you're with us during the holiday season, we do our Pride for Parents toy collection. That's all through what they do uh, here in Atlanta uh, so we'll talk about a little bit of that. But there's some cool projects that are going on in the city, in our own city, that they're, uh, you know, on the front end of and leading. And they'll get to share some of those stories about how God uh, is working through their organization. Uh, so that's that. So if you would, please welcome Jeff and Katie Delp to the stage. You can sit. You can sit. This is Jeff and Katie, everybody. And uh, Jeff's from Philadelphia. Anybody? Nobody. Nobody. Any Pennsylvanians? We got any? Okay, we got at least a few. That's sad. That's sad. It's beautiful. Um, We stay in Pennsylvania. But you're from Texas, right? I am from Texas. Any Texans? I mean, Texans usually get a little more excited than that. Not these two. Not these two. (laughs) She works for the CDC with, like, ticks, right? So you're pretty subdued. And you have, like, a master's in something weird. What is it? Yeah, but you've got, got like, a thing. That's it. So you laid back. That's it? Where in Texas, by the way? Houston. Houston. Ish. And Austin. Fourth largest city in America, right? It Houston? is. It's yeah. very big. Yeah. They have like two 285s, right? They do. That's, it, that's not good, though, is it? That doesn't probably work Probably well, not. It? It's, it's just so big. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. So let's let them get to know you because not everybody knows, especially you, because you've never been, we've never talked about you before. Um, but some of you are familiar with Jeff through Pride for Parents. We collect toys. Um, for that each year, and he comes and picks them up. But why don't you introduce yourselves again? You, we know you're from Philadelphia, but tell us where you're from. How you ended up in Atlanta? How you guys met and got married? Because you got married here, right? We did. I'll just let you tell the story. Uh, well, I moved here in 2001 uh, from Pennsylvania, from Philadelphia. I moved here to do AmeriCorps for a year, so I worked uh, out of Hands-On Atlanta in Southside, Crim, and Grady High Schools helping uh, young people get their required community service hours to graduate. Uh, and I committed to stay here two years. I figured, uh, I'd never been to Atlanta before. Um, being from the Northeast, I joke, if I had, had I visited before I came, I would not have moved. Uh, I moved here without a car um, in July, and my uniform was a long sleeve denim shirt. <laughs> Uh, and so when I bought a car, the air conditioning did not work, and I had to drive around from uh, school to school, and I was miserable <laughs> that first uh, three to four months uh, that I moved here. But I did beat Katie during that first three to four months, and so that helped, uh, helped smooth things out. Uh, we met through a mutual friend, um, and you can tell your story about how you got here. Great. Well, I, after I was in college, towards the end of my undergrad, um, 
and just had a real feeling that, um, well, I was a really well-churched Texas girl. You know, we do big church, big hair, big everything. And, um, but it just... <laughs> she had the bangs. I did. I, my hair has gotten smaller. <laughs> so this right here, this is, a, this is a dying church in Texas, this size right here. Like, it's uh, petite. Yeah, yeah. We're petite. <laughs> I didn't know I was This is a, a terrible church. Bible study in Texas. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I, but what I had been so churched in was a good Christian girl, but um, had done all of it right, but really realized by the end of college, like, if this is all it is, if it's just going to church, and I had a real, like, pivotal moment singing, Lord, I lift your name on high, like, Lord, if I have to just keep singing this for the rest of my life, if that's what my faith is going to be about, I, I think I'm, I'm out, like, there's just got to be more to it. And um, kind of through that time and just prayer and discerning, I uh, did a year-long urban ministry program called Mission Year. And uh, they assigned me to Atlanta. It was my fourth choice um, of four. <laughs> you sense a theme here. Neither one of us really. <laughs> just by the way, I'm a native. I know. Of this great town. But we've been here for 15 years and we can't, we can't stop. So we love it now. Um, and so it just came... Uh, very obvious to me um, that living and working among uh, those that our city or our country and our culture do not place much value on, um, for me, was going to be the way I connected most with Jesus and being in close proximity um, to the least of these um, was just going to be the way that I knew that my faith would be, I would be able to work my faith out. Um, So, I've been living, moved on to the south side of the city um, 15 years ago now. It was actually in September of 2000. And, and just quickly realized that this was where um, I was meant to be. And so, thankfully, I met a boy um, at this, just down the street. Um, <laughs> the group of us were all living together. Um, and then I made him move out if we were going to be dating. And, uh, <laughs> we are in church, so good thing that you uh, that. And so... <laughs> No, let's hear about that. <laughs> yeah. Does that, again, Texas, Northeast, anyway. Yeah. Is he saying y'all yet? I mean, no. Okay. Oh, no. You guys. How yeah. you guys doing? Yeah. I went to college in Ohio, and it was Ewan's. Ewan's. Mm, yeah. Which, that's just weird. So. All right. Um, so tell us about where you work, like the, the FCS, the Focus Community Strategies, maybe just a brief what that is and what, what's involved in that and what you guys each do there? Well, Focus Community Strategies is an organization that's been working in southeast Atlanta for over 40 years. Um, we have the privilege of coming alongside some great folks who've been doing work for a long time. And, and essentially, we consider ourselves a Christian community development organization that um, at the invitation of low-income, kind of under-resourced neighborhoods, we come alongside a neighborhood, one neighborhood at a time, to make it healthy and thriving again. Usually these communities were thriving at one point. Um, And so we work to bring um, economic and and spiritual health back to these communities. Um, We do that through a couple of different ways. We, um, our biggest value is through neighboring. Um, We take serious Jesus command to love your neighbor. And we recruit families, usually families of faith, um, middle-class families to come in and relocate and live out their faith authentically um, in these communities. Um, we also uh, 
do that with a lot of housing. We create, we believe that mixed income housing um, makes healthy neighborhoods. And so we, we build a lot of houses and move a lot of folks in and um, also really secure an affordable base for um, our low income neighbors to be able to own their own homes so that as the communities change, they can enjoy the rise as well. Um, and then we do a lot of um, economic activity and we uh, start some small businesses, which is what Jeff does. And I'll let him explain that. Sure. So I get to figure out how to run businesses in the hood. So it's a very easy job to do. <laughs> um, we uh, Currently, we run a bike shop, a coffee shop, and we just opened up our grocery store called the Carver Market, uh, which has been fantastic. We used to run a thrift store. For those of you that have been down for private parents, um, where we had the thrift store, where we had private parents is where our grocery store is currently. Um, we will still do private parents. We'll talk about that uh, later. But uh, we, as we looked at the thrift store, it opened up in the uh, 80s when retail had left downtown Atlanta. So your Macy's up here you know, used to be in downtown. Others moved up here. And there was really a, a void of retail uh, in Grant Park and your downtown. Uh, and so having a store that sold household goods and clothes and all that stuff made sense in the mid-'80s because that's how it all left. Uh, now Walmarts have moved in. Targets moved in. You can get to there's places off of Marta real easily. Actually, when we moved here in 2001, the Target up here was our closest Target. So I think it took us thir- 13 miles from here to this morning, so there was literally there was a 13-mile hole uh, of retail in the city in the early 2000s. The city's changed a ton in the last um, 10 years, and we just felt there wasn't as much of a need to, to sell that stuff. When Walmart can sell you a new shirt for four bucks, I can't really beat that. Um, and so, um, folks had options for other places to go to get those kind of goods, but um, access to food was still a huge issue. Uh, our closest grocery store is four miles away. Not quite as far as 13. I was a math major in college, <laughs> um, and uh, um, but that's a huge distance if you're not uh, if you're not driving. And so it's a three-hour round trip for our families who aren't driving to the grocery store. And when we talk to people and ask what if you could have anything in this place that you'd want, what would it be? And uh, access to food is, is number one on that list. And so, long story short, we figured out how to open up a grocery store, and we've been doing that for about four months. <laughs> so let's talk about the grocery store for a minute since you've started there. We had this great video that 11 Alive did a story on Carver Market, which is the name of the grocery store. Um, but it's on their website, and we can't, like, steal it and download it. We tried, but <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't make it happen. But I will link it in our Monday uh, after email tomorrow. But, um, but in that news story, which was a few minutes long, I mean, they really gave some good time to it, I thought. And it mm-hmm. felt to me like the news lady was really moved by it. And, uh, but essentially, she was telling the story of, she kept using the phrase like, like a food desert. Like the area that you guys live in is considered, again, just using her language, like a food desert. Like what does she mean by that? Sure. So I think the official USDA description is think anything over two miles, if you don't have access to, to food within two miles of your home, you live in a food desert, uh, which actually is a large part of Atlanta. There's parts of Old Fourth Ward and Grant Park, these up-and-coming neighborhoods that are technically still a food desert. Um, for us, um, it looks like they're literally within four miles of our home. Uh, there's not a store to go to where you can buy fresh produce, where you can buy, um, ac- you have access to, to bread and 
milk eggs that, that you have some choice to, that you can expect to have some quality. Um, we used a local grocery store, it was called Little Bear, um, about two years ago, one of our quote-unquote snowstorms that you all call down here in the mm-hmm. South, um, <laughs> uh, when we were stuck in our house for, uh, for a week, uh, I went down to Little Bear to buy some ice cream. <laughs> Ice cream. I want ice cream. At the snowstorm. <laughs> yes. Well, your summers up in Philadelphia, your summers. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, but. Put that uh, denim shirt back on. Yeah. You know, we, we had a grocery store within a mile of our house, but no one goes there. It's overpriced. Um, <clears throat> when we opened up our store in May and our neighbors came in and began to look around. Now, one thing I know, knowing the industry is that I know we're higher than Kroger and Publix. We're not looking to put them out of business. Um, so I was a little nervous how people would react to, to our prices. Um, but for our, for our neighbors who didn't have a choice where to go, when they walked in, they were just astounded by how cheap we were. Uh, and that, for me, was just a, I knew that with all of our studies and all of our planning ahead of time. But to hear someone say, oh, my gosh, how, I can't believe how cheap you are, knowing inside, like, man, like if I shop here, which I do, uh, I know I'm paying more money than my options, right? And just to hear neighbors who I know make less than us have to pay more for their groceries. Uh, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem uh, that that's the, way, that's the way it should be. So when I go to Kroger and spend two eighty nine on a gallon of milk and someone else spends four four fifty nine down at the store, that's just, there's something wrong with that. Um, and so the food desert is, is that, is that you just don't, literally don't have options. There's just, you know, where, where are you going to go? You need, you need a gallon of milk. You need a, uh, a pack of eggs. You need a loaf of bread. Um, it's incredibly inconvenient to, to go and do those kind of things. And so one of the questions I've had is, um, they touch on this a little bit in the video, but or in the, in the news story, it, people don't necessarily, like the big chain grocery stores or whatever, they're not gonna, they, don't, they don't want to come to the neighborhood. And um, is that frust- how is that frustrating? It's got to be so frustrating when you're trying to like service a people group, but the thing they need the most, they're not going to get. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, I wouldn't say that they don't want to come to the neighborhood. They want to go where they'll make money, right? They're, they are a business, and so they have a model. And so when they run the demographics, they expect that in order for us to, to run, if I'm Publix, uh, so I don't know how many of you all know Eastlake, right, where, they, where the golf tournament is going on right now. Um, they put in a Publix across the street from a housing project that they redid back in the late 90s, which FCS had a part in that. Uh, and so we have a housing project very similar to Eastlake in our community called Carver Homes. We're now villages of Carver. And so the city has a nice big parcel of land set aside for a grocery store. Uh, that when they, when they opened up in 2001, the assumption was they would lure a Publix or someone else there. Uh, and so and I wasn't in, in those meetings, but my, knowing what I know now, um, the grocery stores have all balked because they said, well, Eastlake's one thing. Uh, you, there are enough people living over there. You have to cater close by. Uh, there's other things going on. Yes, it's a risk, but there's also, we see a potential that the store can make money. Uh, when they looked at our neighborhood, they didn't see the number of people they needed. They didn't see the income that they needed. Uh, and, it, and it would just, it would be a failure from, from purely a business standpoint. And so to be frustrated with that, <clears throat> I don't know if that's, you know, it's, just, it's a business thing. And you can be frustrated with the entirety of why are there not enough people living on the south side and all that stuff that goes into it. And so once you kind of get to terms with that, like, look, they're just not going to come. And it's not because they don't like us or they are whatever reason. It doesn't make business sense. Well, let's 
can we figure out something that does make business sense? Because Publix doesn't have a 2,000 square foot store model, and our store is 2,000 square feet. So can we, can we create a model that works? And so that's what we've tried. And so let's, let's start with you, and then we'll work back the mm-hmm. way around, because I want to get to some of the other FCS stories. But So they opened this grocery store. I got a chance to see it for the first time a few weeks ago. It's really kind of cool. Um, you have everything there, like you said, like everything that you could need is there. And... Um, and it's connected to your coffee shop, which is really, I like that too. It's really, really nice and convenient there. But one of the things you were telling me, and I'd love for you to elaborate on this, is that you see a lot of like before school, there's high school kids coming in, getting sort of breakfast or lunch or whatever. So you're seeing the community come in. How is, what do you see immediately as some of the, the, the good things that are coming out of this, things like that, but just maybe some other things too that are happening? So before we opened, um, we have a neighbor, Miss Walker. Um, she's lived in the neighborhood her entire life. Um, in our neighborhood, uh, it's called Historic South Atlanta. Um, it's some of the first land given to freed slaves after the Civil War. It's always been an uh, African-American community, so it's a little different than some of the neighborhoods that are changing that used to be white, were then black, and now going back to white. It's, it's been, it has, has a rich cultural history um, in, amongst the African-American community. Uh, she grew up in the neighborhood, and as we were doing our renovations, um, I didn't know this until the day we opened, she, um, she would walk by every single day and would check on the store, and, and was so excited uh, about the store opening, and told me about her brother, who used to work at the grocery store across the street that was called Zimmerman's, um, it's no longer there, obviously, um, but her excitement for to be able to walk around the corner uh, and buy, buy tomatoes or buy a loaf of bread um, literally has changed her life. Um, she way she would get groceries before she once a week a grandchild or niece or nephew would, would pick her up and take her to Kroger and so if she ran out of food between Wednesday and Wednesday she just made do uh, and so now one thing we've learned is now so on Tuesday she comes in she gets her tomato gets her loaf of bread or gets whatever she needs uh, and actually she's starting to buy more and do more of her shopping with us but um, it's just I mean literally it's changed her life that she didn't have a way of, of providing. For, she wasn't going to get on the bus. She's, she's you know, a senior. She wasn't going to get on MARTA and take three hours to get to the store. Uh, and so just there's small ways that, that we take for granted, uh, you know, ways that we can, well, we're out of turkey for school lunches today. Well, I'll go drive to Kroger and get it. Uh, for people, they don't have that option, so you just, you just go without. You just have a meat and cheese sandwich and don't have bread to go with it or whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is. Um, and the biggest thing for me, <coughs> oh, excuse me, is the um, access to jobs that, that it creates. And so um, we have eight, eight employees who live um, within walking distance of the store. And um, the hope that that brings to our, to our community, um, I've been working there for five years. Our first teenager that we hired uh, five years ago, uh, after we hired him, all of his friends started coming in and asking for a job. I mean, you all knew me for 10 years. Why, 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 why is it now, right? Uh, and I began thinking back when I was 15, and I walked down the street and got a, a job at the local grocery store. Um, and, you know, I did that out of the idea that I saw everyone else doing it. And it wasn't anything normal. No one told me to go ask for a job. It was just what, what you did. And so when I began thinking about for, for our youth in our neighborhood, you know, where are, they, where are they watching their friends or, or other people go and get a job? And so uh, as you speak about high school kids coming in, what I love about that is they see their friends working there, and it gives them hope, and it gives them the idea that, hey, if I get my stuff together, I can, you know, I can come in here and apply for a job uh, as well. So 
I mean, they're high school kids, right? So we sell them crap. We sell them M&Ms and hot Cheetos and Takis. And uh, it's not, that's not the kind of desert we're trying to get rid of. But I mean, come on. What 17-year-old comes in and buys healthy food, right? We're not, that's not what we're trying to solve. Um, but what we are giving them is this idea that this, this store is for you. You're comfortable here. Uh, and we'd love to hire you if, if that works out. That's amazing. We don't use the word crap, by the way. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you all weren't in the green room downstairs, apparently. Before. <laughs> uh, I think his mic's not working. Um, but um, yeah, well, you, you threw me off there for a second. I had this other question. Um, while I'm thinking of that, talk about some of the broader stuff that, because the, the thing that I want people to hear is how you see um, God working and moving through the efforts of not just Carver Market, but FCS as a whole. Um, For those who don't, I mean, I think you've explained it pretty well, but essentially this organization has kind of given itself to bringing renewal and reconciliation to some of these neighborhoods, especially on the south side, Mm -hmm. which I do want to talk about racism a little bit. I want to talk about the the effects of that and the impacts of this still happening, obviously, for sure. Um, But maybe to start with, just how do you see... God moving or maybe just one or two stories of late? Well, I think we have the privilege of seeing God move through such um, generous people who are committed to seeing communities um, work in new ways, right? We, we, when we want to start a grocery store, we want to start um, anything, one of our latest idea is or what the neighborhood and our ideas usually are always coming from the concerns of the community we just we gather um, great people um, almost always people of Christian faith who say let me use my God-given talents that I use during the week to help um, transform these neighborhoods so we get some of the best and brightest business people around a table we were at a task force meeting for our grocery store Um, just on Thursday. And it's just always a privilege to watch people really use their vocation that the church has often ignored Um, because it doesn't need, it's not always needed on Sunday mornings Um, to for to watch Christians just really come alive and crunch numbers and say, Hey, this is how this needs to happen in the marketing this. Um, And that's just a real gift to watch the kingdom work that way. I, I always get a lot out of that. Um, And then There's just all these little bitty ways that we get to um, see Jesus in just in the relationships that we have. So, you know, we really value just the proximity of being near the problems that we're trying to solve. And I think think Jesus was into that too, right? He was into proximity and location. That's why he came to earth. And, And so through that, you just get to... There's just this rub that happens all the time, and I think you just get these glimpses of Jesus. Um, it's not like coming to work to do our uh, ministry program during the week. Um, those real interactions come getting mail um, at the same time as your neighbors and just talking and hearing about their day. And, um, you know, just work doing school stuff with your neighbors, with your kids, and just all those kind of things. So there's lots of that thing. I think one thing it was even just this week, which was a, which was exciting. And this kind of speaks to this 
longevity of sticking with the same thing. I say I'm the only 30-something I know who's done the same thing for 14 years. And because that's just not what we do these days. But there's some real gifts of that. And it dawned on me Wednesday night, our, we have a little neighborhood youth group and, that some neighbors lead. And our son, who's eight, is finally old enough to go. That's kind of for later elementary school kids is this one good. And he was like, oh, so excited that he gets to go to the youth group because that's where all the kids on the block get to go. And he loves a good rowdy game, and which is, you know, youth group special, right? Just, and when he came home, he was all smiles, but he was most excited about, you know, Joel was there. And he was talking about Joel, who is a, um, a kid who's grown up in the neighborhood who is now leading the youth group. And Joel was probably Sam's age, our son Sam's age when we moved into the neighborhood. He was at the after school programs that we led. He's worked at the store for a number of years. And so um, it just, it just kind of dawned on me that the kids that we have, we worked with years ago and who've grown up um, in the context of just this community rebirth are now leading um, our kids. And uh, for me, it was just a really powerful, like, thanks Jesus. Like, you're, you're just going to continue doing this, right? And that's what healthy neighborhoods do, right? It just continues. That process continues, and we keep taking care of one another's folks. And um, so that was, that's what I love. What do you got? I think you shared it well. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I know, and I learned this through Nate Ledbetter when he moved here, um, there couldn't have been a whiter individual to move <laughs> to South Atlanta to sort of work with racial reconciliation. But I know that's a, I know that's a thing. I know that's part, of the, that's, that's part of the journey for you guys is figuring out how, you know, to, to bridge those gaps or fix broken things. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, Atlanta, you know, at, at, Atlanta still deals with that, of mm-hmm. course. Um, I mean, our roads still have different names when you cross ponds. I mean, there's a reason for that. And, um, and so it's, and having grown up here, I understand that, you know, I understand that that's still a thing uh, that needs, that needs a lot of attention. So what, what sorts of things do you guys see down there that are just still standing in the way of reconciliation in that regard, but also maybe some positive things that have taken place that you see happening? I'd love to hear that. Um, well, first of all, I think there's some huge structural things, right? I think a lot of times when we talk about racism, we talk about, I don't like black people or whatever else. And I mean, that stuff clearly exists still, but, but there's some huge structural stuff that's still there. And the fact that, you know, before the market opened, I could walk to more tow lots and I could grocery stores that I could, you know, we have every kind of recycling plant you want in the city. If you want your carpet recycled, if you want metal recycled, if you want paper recycled, if you want to recycle chemicals, you know, all those things are within a mile of, of, of my house. And if you draw a mile from right here, I doubt there's any of those things uh, here, right? So there's some real structural racism. Sorry, I was going to use crap, but I didn't. So I used racism instead. Um, I guess I just said it again, though. No. <laughs> but there's some, uh, uh, there's some real structural stuff that, that exists that makes it really, really hard um, to, to bring the reconciliation that, that needs, to, needs to happen. Um, I think uh, about 
Punt City Market. You all know Punt City Market. Mm -hmm. This is great um, new space in the city that, that we love. We've been there several times. Uh, when I moved here to do AmeriCorps, I was in the basement of that in uh, 2001. Did, I forget the name of the, the, the Christmas giveaway program, but you know, it was one of those deals where people come, come in and you know, prove, prove that you're poor, give your social security number, prove how many kids you have, how much money you don't make, and, and you can walk out with a black bag full of toys, right? It's one of those um, things that pride for parents is against, or is the anti of. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I was thinking about like, and this is this is what we struggle with, right? Like, Ponce City Market's good on a whole, right? Like, I, I, I don't want to you know talk bad about something, but there's folks that were walking into that Christmas program 15 years ago. That, it's not for them, and it's, and it's an, for an entirely new class of, of people. And uh, and so one thing that we've done through the market and very explicitly is how do we create a space where everybody feels welcome. Uh, when, when, when a new business opens, so often it's tailored to one group of people. And, you know, so we're very um, um, upfront about, like, we sell a loaf of bread that's a dollar. It is terrible for you, uh, <laughs> but it's affordable, right? And then we sell a loaf of bread that's five bucks. It's from H&F, and it's the cool, hip, trendy, you know, uh, thing. And the hope behind that is that we will all shop together. Uh, and through that, just uh, idea that we're all sharing the same space, we all love the same thing, we all want to support the same thing, and that basic, reconcil basic um, relational foundation that begins to allow for reconciliation to happen on a, on a personal level. Um, when we're in ministry and we live there 15 years, we don't walk around and knock on people's doors to introduce ourselves. Like That's not normal. Uh, you see each other at the grocery store. You run into each other at the coffee shop. Um, you, your kids play together on, on, on the street, and you get to have conversations um, with the dad down the street while you're throwing football with, with your sons, right? That's where reconciliation um, happens, and it's not a program uh, as much as it is uh, a presence, and we're just here to um, work on those big structural things, but also um, just love one another. I mean, I think all reconciliation um, comes down to relationship. Right. We need to be in relationship to one another. It's not that often we don't care about each other. It's just we simply don't know each other. And so putting yourself in places where you can get to know each other. And we kind of have a mantra at FCS when you move in, especially if you're white. Um, do not do anything. Do not even speak up for at least a year. Um, preferably three. <laughs> um, <laughs> the longer you remain quiet, the better. The longer you're quiet, the better. Because... White folks just think they know so much. And, um, and so just to submit um, yourself to... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just to submit yourself, um, if you're from the majority culture, um, it, to the minority cultures, um, and let others lead you in ways that you haven't been led before, I think is really important. It's all about the posture that you take. Um, and it's just... It's just getting to know each other, and it's being authentic in those relationships that I've seen um, over and over. And, like, let's just, let's just talk about this. Let's realize that we have so much more in common than we are um, different. But let's never discredit those differences, too, and let's um, acknowledge those and embrace them and enjoy those. Um, we have this um, really rich life of diversity. And um, I said something to one of our kids one time. Maya, our daughter, said something about... You know, there are schools where everybody's white. And she was like, boring. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. Like, white bread is no good. Um, it's not good for you, and it doesn't taste good. Um, and so 
Um, so wait, let me translate. <laughs> <laughs> the line of the day, by the way, is that white people know so much. They think they know so much. That's they great. do. You know, my favorite quote the other day, I was at a workshop. It was like, uh, what's more important? Do you want to, is, you've got a value. Is, is it relationship or is it being right? And I feel like what we see um, when the racial kind of stuff can butt its head, it's just like, I've got to value this relationship more than being right. Um, because being right is so subjective um, in our culture. And so we, uh, I think that's a big part of it. And I feel like we've worked really, really hard in our neighborhood to have us be a safe place. I am always really humbled when often our elected officials, our city council persons are always saying this, and actually the police, um, some of the police officers we've worked with, they'll always say, gosh, things are just different around here. You guys don't fight as much and everybody gets along a little better. And I, I'm like, I, well, I believe that's Jesus has been working, is at work here. Um, and I think it's just that posture of let's all kind of get to know one another. And that doesn't mean we still don't have some people butt heads and there'll be times you're like, oh, we're having this conversation and the line is drawn down the room racially. Um, but then, but have the, courage to say that and to acknowledge that is a lot of it. So it's, it can be scary work um, at times, but it can be so rewarding. Um, and then the, the gift of that reconciliation and diversity that can come later is, is well worth it. I think finally for, uh, for, our, for our church, so you know, like we, we come from all over the city. So we have people mm-hmm. that live down very close to you all the way up into Brookhaven and beyond. And then from, you know, Midtown, Buckhead, even downtown, uh, so we kind of come from different, all of us come from different neighborhoods and the layouts are different, whatever. I mean, I live just up the street, you know, and um, in, in a million dollar Absolutely. area. <laughs> yeah. I live in one of the original buildings. Um, but what, what, a, what can we do? Like what, what would, if you were giving a workshop today, which you kind of are, but what would you tell our people in terms of living out the ways of Jesus where they live and work and the places they inhabit or whatever, like just from your experience, how, how can we participate in what you're doing in your little neighborhood all over this? Because this, this, this room is representative of many, many different parts of the city. So. Well, I would say acknowledging the whole city is a big part of it, right? Um, there's people who think that uh, the city ends at I-20. And just to know that there's, there's so much more um, to our city. We, we, you know, things get, it's always funny. You, there's all these in-town artists who are making all these cutesy things with all the neighborhoods listed. And I'm like, oh, it's nice that you keep listing all the white neighborhoods. <laughs> um, and so I think acknowledging the whole city is a big part of it. Um, and really, I guess, you know, how can your gifts or your areas of influence or um, help these other neighborhoods, right? We always say we're not always under-resourced neighborhoods, we're under-networked, um, and that healthy neighborhoods have a network of people. And um, that's what I see with um, our low-income neighbors is that their network is just not as big. Their safety net, their margin is smaller. And so um, expanding and tithing your network is, um, I think, a really big part. Just to, oh, and that comes from being mindful of where the needs are. What would you say? Yeah, I would say very similar. So 
the southwest portion of Grant Park is about a mile and a half from our store. And so we're their closest grocery store. Uh, and I can't tell you how many people that I speak to who live in Grant Park who have no clue that we exist. Uh, oh, you're down by the airport? Oh, you're in McDonough? No, we're a mile and a half from your house, literally. You, you can walk to our store. <laughs> uh, and so it's that awareness of what, being intentional about what's, uh, what's around you um, and, uh, and, and being willing to embrace that. Um, you know, for us, so um, there's this great place on Metropolitan Avenue. I don't know, no Metropolitan, but there's a great um, bowling alley and um, roller skating rink and, um, down there. And I take my kids there. And every time I go there, people look at me like I'm a freak. Like, what, what's this white guy doing bringing his kids down? To, down to, do you know where you are? I get that. Like, are you sure you're in the right place? Are you lost? Do you need directions? And, but for me, it's about making the intentional choice that I'm going to go recreate where my neighbors are recreating. I'm not going to drive up to Midtown and go bowling there. I want to go on Metropolitan Avenue where everybody else is. Uh, and, and that, I think, making intentional choice about what, with what you can speaks volumes to other people. And talk about reconciliation when I can have a conversation with my neighbors and we can share in that same, like, we go to the same places. It, it's, not all, it's not, I don't expect my neighbor to go where I go. I'm going to go where they go. Uh, and that, that just levels the playing field in so many, so many ways. But that's me having to be uncomfortable for, I'm not uncomfortable anymore, but initially, you, know, you, had to, you had to bust through that. You had to break through it. And it does, it does wonders for, um, so in terms of what you can do, just, you know, think about where you, what's around you, and are there places that you don't go, and why don't you go there, and try it out sometime. See what happens. Okay, last question, mm-hmm. and then we're going to close it down. What has, um, what do you feel like personally, just each of you individually, that God has taught you through the last, sounds like 15 years of your life, working among the poor, working among those who would, you know, the hip term is they're marginalized, you know, or whatever. But what has God taught you personally over the last 15 years? For me, well, I think the last 15 years will wreck your theology. Mine's, um, there's no good boxes of what to believe and, you know, what is right and all that. But I know that God is really good and that he cares infinitely for his people. And I think that's, that's about, you know, and like, and Jesus is the example of how to walk um, in these hard places, right? I think that's all I've got left. Um, but those are also incredibly hopeful places to stay in. And, and so that's what it comes down for me, like, we have so few answers about the mysteries of God, um, but he is so good, um, and he cares so much um, for each of us. And I think like, that's just what it kind of all comes down to for me. Um, so <clears throat> graduating college, uh, small Christian college in Pennsylvania, you know, I was this fed this theology of you need to go lead. Like, you're, you're prepared now. Like, go out and lead. Like, and it's all measured, like, you know, you see all the alumni. Here's what they did and all that stuff. So, right? so I moved to Atlanta, 23, <laughs> white man. Like, so I, let me go. Let me go lead. And the, one of the persons I was in charge of in AmeriCorps was a six-foot-six man who was in the military. I grew up Mennonite, which is a pacifist denomination. African-American man who was in his mid-30s. Thankfully, he was from Philadelphia. So we had some, we had some common ground. Uh, but, like, 
I couldn't lead that guy. I mean, Messiah Kyle did not prepare me to be a leader in that, in that uh, scenario. Uh, and so, um, I mean, for me, humility, humility is, was, is what I've learned. That I just, I don't need to have all the answers. It was not, I don't have to be an expert. I don't have to be, have answered every single question that, that comes, comes to me that I, I need to be able to listen. And I need to be able to hear what people are saying and have my eyes open uh, and, be, and be humble enough to, uh, to walk into those settings and, and not have the answers and let the answers come out from what's in front of me. Fantastic. Um, our, I was going to read our passage that we've been uh, focusing on this month, and it comes from 2 Corinthians five seventeen verses 17 through 21, and I will just use this to close, but... Um, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, for, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This has kind of been the backdrop for our reflections on Sunday mornings the last several weeks. And a lot of that is just being reminded that God is making all things new. And the trouble with that is sometimes the world doesn't seem like it's any better. But there are these little stories that crop up like in your neighborhood or our neighborhoods or whatever uh, where we see things take place that we would say, wow, God really had a part in that. But I love the turn where Paul says, but God's given us that job, like to be his ambassadors. And that's what you guys are doing. That's what we're all called to do. And uh, in all the worlds that we inhabit, we just, we neighbor, we listen for ways to serve and to respond to needs, uh, et cetera. And as a church family, we try to get behind people like you, organizations like FCS, uh, and throw people at it, resources at it, and try to help and learn. We definitely, you know, uh, I'm sure there's people today, me included, just feel there's a little bit of guilt, you know, because it's like, wow, you guys are really, I mean, we're going to go to F2O, and actually we have a brunch, but we're going to, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but that's good. It's healthy. It's healthy. Like, there's a little bit of irritation about, yeah, I should do that. I should do more of that. I should think about that. And that's that's good. That's what we're here to do is to spur each other on and all that. But. Uh, but that's been our text for the last few weeks, and you guys are a living example of what that is. And so we're really appreciative of what you do. Uh, we love doing the, the toy thing every year. I know that's just so small. I know it's not like we're not on the ground every day with you, but we love trying to partner as best we can. And so thanks for giving us those opportunities and all that. So uh, thank you today. Thank them for just telling their story. And, uh, thank you. I think they liked you.